Thank you, Gretchen and Amy. That's a great example of a psalm, a beautiful prayer put to song so that we can just sing our prayers to the Lord. And I'm sure it ministered to you ladies because you have been taught about the Holy Spirit this weekend. But it is the prayer of all of us. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us, breathe on us, inspire us from heaven this morning as we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we apply ourselves to God's word. Well, good morning. We have certainly been blessed this morning by our time of praise and worship and our offering song. And um, I was looking for the looking for the words in the song. Um, Help me out here. Oh, there it is. It's in the last verse of in Christ alone. And it, uh, it it almost brought me to tears as we sang this, because I thought to myself, that's why I'm a Christian. This is why I'm a Christian. And, and here's the phrase that really struck me. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And I think the reason that means so much to me is because me as a person, I think about my life in a lot of ways. There's a lot of disappointment in that I have failed many people. I have disappointed many people. And I realize that in and of myself, I do not stand a chance in heaven. I don't stand a chance to have a relationship with the one and only true God. So I need a God that's going to persevere for me. I need to hear these words from the God of heaven that says, no matter what Satan throws at you, and no matter what you do in your own heart, and no matter how much you mess up, I've made a promise and a commitment to you that there is nothing, not even your own failures, that can pluck you from my hand. And that's the promise that our God makes. That exclusive promise from the Christian God. And I ju- that's what I need. I have to have a promise that says it doesn't depend on you. You can't mess up enough. Because the relationship we have is from me. It's from heaven's side. Enjoy the grace. May we enjoy the grace this morning. Well, um... Corky opened his Sunday school lesson with a joke. So I thought, well, I'm going to open with a joke. And uh, last night, our family went to a rodeo. And I know the ranks were there. Was anybody else um, at the rodeo last night in Blackstone? Shucks. Okay. Maybe it's just something I like to do. But anyway, um, rodeos have clowns. So he told many jokes. Not all of them are appropriate for church. But here's one. And... um, Carly, I want you to say, I don't know. Okay? When I'm going to ask a question, just say, I don't know. You've got to play the audience. So, so the clown says, uh, what's a sheep with no legs? A cloud. What's a dog with no legs? Uh, wait, what's, a, what's a cow with no legs? Ground beef. <laughs> What, what do you call a dog with no legs? Doesn't matter what you call it, it's not coming to you anyway. anyway that's a clown. 
It's a clown. So we had a lot of fun. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and Jesus is preaching a sermon to his disciples about the king and the kingdom of God. And in verses 9 through 15, he is specifically teaching his disciples how to pray. Luke tells us in his account that they've asked him, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. And as some teachers do, rather than launching right in and teaching the right way to do it, Jesus takes the approach of, let me first tell you not how to pray. And he draws from two very popular or well-known methods of prayer in their culture. And one is the hypocrite. And he says, do not pray like the hypocrite. And what do the hypocrites do? Well, the reason we don't want to pray like a hypocrite is because the hypocrites really aren't even praying to God. It's, there's, there's no sincerity there. It's not about relationship. What they're really doing is they have used the words of prayer and they've formulated them into something to put on a show. And they're not even really trying to touch the heart of God or please God. All they really want is the praise of men. So when you, when you have a prayer life, it can't be about that. That's prayers gone wrong. And then the other popular way to pray that he drew from the culture was the way of the babbling pagan. Don't pray like you see them doing where they just pray louder and louder and they repeat the same things and they repeat the same things. Why would they do that? Because they believe in many gods and they're very insecure. They're like little orphans running from God to God. Will you hear me? Is anybody up there going to help? Is anybody up there? Because they have been trained that there are gods up there and sometimes they might help you. And the way you get them to help you is this. You repeat words. You, you talk louder. Maybe some cases you cut yourself. You, you go through all kinds of spiritual gymnastics just to get their attention. You don't want to pray like that because that commu- that's a product of the God they worship. It's this insecure soul that wants to hear something from heaven and isn't sure if it's going to hear anything. Who's going to, who's going to help my corn grow so I can feed my family? Who's going to help me in battle? I go to battle, and who's going to help me up there? So these are very insecure ways of praying. And God says, that's not how it's done. Or Jesus says, that's not how it's done. And then he begins to set this attitude of prayer, the stage for prayer. And rather than putting on a show in your prayer life, the, the atmosphere, the ambi- spiritual ambiance, if you will, come over here. As you practice your righteousness, and he's talking about giving, praying and fasting a little bit later. Come over here, just you and I, in your closet. No fanfare. Be very private, very personable. And we'll talk. And you can serve me and you can practice your righteousness, practice your giving. And fast. But let's do it in secret. Because it's, it's supposed to be really about... The whole reason we're doing it is because we're in a relationship with God. And so that's that's the 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 main thrust behind practicing our righteousness. And he even uses the word beware, because the tendency is there in all of us to begin to do things even 
in practicing our righteousness for the wrong reasons. The sin gets in there and undermines our motive. So we don't want that to happen. So don't pray like the hypocrites and don't babble on like the pagans. Now, in real life, what that means to us is that, and I mentioned this last week, this might mean that you might do something absolutely for you monumental in your spiritual life. You might pray this this prayer that bubbled up out of your your insides, went to the heavens. You've never prayed like that before in your life and nobody heard it. Nobody knows about it because it was in your prayer closet. Or you have you may have just given this wonderful gift from your heart. You've been holding on to something in your life and finally the Holy Spirit does something powerful and you let go of it and and you give with purpose and purity of heart. And you're so proud of your achievement and it is a big deal spiritually and nobody saw it. Or even fasting. You you may finally be willing to fast. And maybe for you, it was just one meal. But hey, got to start somewhere. It was big. It was huge. You denied yourself for the right reason. Nobody knows about it. But our temptation is to let people know about it for the wrong reasons. There are right reasons for people to see our light shine. And God will see that that happens as others draw attention or praise. There may come a time when we can share spiritual accomplishments From the heart with a pure motive that will edify the saints. But we have to be careful with our motives because if we find ourselves wanting to do things and waiting for the praise of men, something just went wrong underneath. It's a sign. It's a sign that we may have just taken a step into hypocrisy or some kind of insecurity in our relationship with the Father. And so, in essence, we have to know... As we pilgrim through Christianity, we have to know that it's, it's okay for it just to be between me and God. It's, it's okay. That has to be okay. And not even just okay or tolerable. It has to be wonderful. It has to be good. That only God and I know about this that's happening in my life. That's got to be okay with us as Christians. Because otherwise we venture out of the boundaries of our proper motive and we might find ourselves not doing it so much for God but doing it for ourselves and taking Christian ways religious ways and just recloaking them in ways to love ourselves that are less noticeable or less apparently sinful so Jesus is teaching all this in the context of Uh, Practicing righteousness in prayer, but he doesn't just set the attitude of this privacy and this devotion building time, this intimacy and relationship building time. He actually um, gives an example. He actually gives words to his disciples and teaches them how to pray. So let me read these from the ESV this morning in verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's as far as it goes in this version, in this gospel. I know we're used to the King James Version, and that's what I will resort to when we preach our final sermon on this prayer. But that's as far as this goes, and you'll learn a little bit why that's the case this morning. And when it comes to prayers, this has got to be one of the, if not the most wonderful prayer in the world. It's, it's the most well-known prayer in the world. It's very plain. It's, it's profound yet simple. Simplistic. It touches all the bases. It's comprehensive, yet it's short. Jesus didn't hand them when they say, will you teach us how to pray? He didn't hand them a book or a, a scroll for them to unroll. He gave, he gave them these words. Um, it is a, it's, it's a model prayer. It's a pattern prayer. It's an example prayer. Or it's a teaching prayer, you might say. It sets the outline, the blueprint. And... It's so simple that a very young child can even learn it, and a very, very young child can even pray it. In fact, this is one of the um, first prayers that I ever learned as a child and prayed. As a, as a young Catholic boy, this is what I taught. I, I was taught, I prayed this prayer many, many times on my knees with my hands folded. Did not understand all of the depths and was not a believer at that time. One of the amazing things about this prayer is that though it can be profound to you when you first learn it, it will never not be profound to you because you grow with it. And now it is just as rich to me as when I first learned it. It's, it seems even more and more rich. The more I study it, the richer it seems. But it, it, it follows us through our spiritual growth. It follows us even as we come to Christ. These, This is a pattern. These are very important words or Styles or methods, accumulation of attitudes to bring before God as we pray. It's the kind of prayer, I think, that needs to be looked at as a whole first before we pick it apart. So that's what I want to do this morning, because just by looking at it in its entirety first or an overview picture, there's a lesson. There's a few lessons in that. And as we look at it in an overview sort of way, two general observations emerge. First of all, that. It is, as I have said, an example prayer. So Jesus says, pray like this. When they say, how do we pray? He doesn't say, well, only pray these words. But he says, pray like this. Um, pray similarly or pray in this like manner when you address your heavenly father in prayer. This is the format, so to speak, that it should take. And so all the prayers in the Bible, of course, are inspired. They don't all sound exactly like this. So there is flexibility in our prayer life. It's not the only way we can pray by any means. But it is a, it is a pattern to follow after. So our prayers should at least look like this. They should be no less than this, though they can be more than this. Because Jesus gives us very important uh, ingredients, if you will, 
in, in how to address our Lord and Savior. Now, an example of why it doesn't necessarily need to be word for word, although I would recommend everybody memorize uh, the Lord's Prayer um, as, as young as possible. I would recommend that because it is a good prayer to pray. But when Jesus, in the different Gospels, they're not all exactly the same, which means that even as Jesus taught his disciples and went around from town to town teaching people in different locations the same message, he did not use the exact same words in teaching this prayer. But he almost did. It's real close. There's a few, some, some have a few things missing, some things, some of the prayers have a few things added. So that's just an example of why we want to get the overall flavor of it as a teaching prayer, not feel bound and restricted that this is the only way we can pray, because even Jesus mixed it up a little bit, if you will. So there's flexibility within these powerful guidelines. But the message is follow this. There's um, these are some ground rules here. When we pray, you'll find that just about all the biblical prayers in some way follow after this pattern. And there there are things that emerge. So, for instance, in this prayer and many other biblical prayers, you find prayers of uh, or words of adoration. You find words of submission Words of supplication, words of confession, and words of exaltation. So that's a lot to keep in mind, but the, the basic ideas um, behind it is that these are the kind of words and desires that should be coming out of our hearts as we talk to God, the, covering these topics, if you will. So if we take a look at this format and break it down even more simply, you see that first Jesus says, address God, address your father, address the things of heaven, kingdom things. Then we move into asking for our daily bread. So now we're still focused on God. We're never not focused on God. But now we're saying, God, because you are the king of all things, would you Provide. I'm asking just for my daily bread. I'm asking for you as my father to provide for me. And then the prayer closes with more focus on God alone, adoring God and exalting God. So there's a very simplistic pattern in the way that we should approach him. God, man and God. But I don't want you to get the impression with that, that there's ever a time that when we're talking about our own requests and petitions, that it's separated from God or that we shouldn't be praising God in our petitions. These are I think our culture has a tendency to put these things in opposition with one another, praying and exalting God. And then I get to pray for my own things. And it's almost like, no, you got to eat your vegetables first, and then you can have your dessert. So my vegetables, I got to praise God. I got to spend at least two or three minutes in my devotion exalting him. Then I get to talk about all the things I need. And then I'm going to rightly talk about God a little bit more in the end. They are not to be in opposition at all. It's to flow fluently from the same attitude and from the same heart. So we're praying for God. For his kingdom. 
and then for ourselves. It's interesting that it has God first, I think. It's very telling. Because if, if we're honest, if we do pray, and not everybody even has a habit of prayer, it's something you've got to develop, we need to develop as Christians. But when we do, a lot of times our tendency is, is to get caught up immediately in ourselves and what's going on in our own lives, in our world, without even really acknowledging who God is. We, we just have this tendency, we're all guilty of it, to want to talk about our, ourselves and not give glory to God for who he is. Just no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what our needs are. And I think Jesus is saying, this is of the utmost importance. These are the very first thoughts, the very first words that should flow from us uh, habitually in our prayer lives. So our sin nature, unfortunately, is to see ourselves or to make ourselves as the center of the universe. That's how our sin nature wants to view ourselves. So we spend a tremendous amount of time thinking about what? Ourselves. Planning for what? Ourselves. Uh, Working fervently and feverishly for what? We're building up our own little kingdom, our own little world that we want to be the center of. So everything around us is just positioned just perfect so that we can feel secure and be the center of all things. So we can get everything we think we need. This prayer works against that. It's almost like inherently it's, it's like this built in deterrent so that every time this prayer is taught to Christian disciples throughout the age, we are immediately made aware of our tendency to not focus on ourselves, but keep it about God. Which makes perfect sense because not only were we created by God, the pinnacle of creation But we forget that we were created for God. The whole reason we exist, the whole reason we even need to ask for daily bread or whatever is on our hearts is because we were created for God. It's all for God. It's not opposition to one another, our lives and his life. But our tendency is to to focus on our own kingdom, to want to build for, for my kingdom to come. God, you serve me in my kingdom. That's not what this prayer does. It's not, and it's not a form of torture. It's not meant to be a form of torture. I got to talk about God before I can talk about myself. It's so hard. It is meant to be a blessing. Because if we're in our right mind, if we're in the spirit, we're thinking spiritual things, heavenly things, this is what our mindset should be all the time anyway. We should immediately be warmed, we should be enthralled by who God is every time we come to Him. Because He's so incredible, He's so remarkable, He's so holy, He's been so good to us, He's so generous and attentive, He's so unlike the pagan gods. He knows what we're going to say before we ever even ask Him. That that's the kind of God we serve. So when we ask for the, the, the pagans are just asking somebody up there, speak, say something to me. Here I am in need. And what has God given to us? A word from heaven revealed 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the word from heaven that we can give our lives to. And every once in a while in Scripture, God actually speaks from heaven. I think about as we were worshiping this morning, uh, the voice from heaven came. So many people want to hear it, but who heard it? Around the days of John the Baptist, but God's son. And there wasn't even a prayer asked. And God speaks from heaven. This is my son. Can you imagine what would go through you to hear those words? I am well pleased with this person. I wonder if we'll ever hear those words. Is there anywhere in scripture that indicates we might hear those words someday? In the end time, we will hear those words. It's incredible. What a God we serve. God first. Focus on God. His kingdom. What does our flesh tell us? What does our culture teach us? So not only do we have the battle of the flesh. What is our culture teaching us right now? You know, when I was younger, there were, there were kind of jokes about, wow, our culture's really becoming self-focused, isn't it? And now it's not even a joke anymore. It's become a reality. You know, it used to be like, can you believe the name of that magazine? Can you believe what they're calling the... Can you believe that they are actually trying to market this to become a self-centered, self-worship culture? We kind of chuckled and it was funny for a while and now it's, we live it. It's the me, myself and I culture. You have uh, literally products called uh, me so that you can uh, give yourself the products to give yourself the attention that you need. Of course, yeah, I got to say it. We have iPhones. I got one. iPhones. And I spend a lot of time on my iPhone, just me and myself and I. Uh, uh, not always for the right, you know, self-indulging or doing what I want to do. iPads and iTablets or whatever they are. It's, we're being fed these things. Uh, the selfie, dare I say it? The selfie, because everybody wants to know Pastor Paul's enjoying his coffee. Everybody wants to know that past, what Pastor Paul does all day. Pastor Paul studying for his sermon. Selfie. I want everybody in the world to know about Pastor Paul. Self, me, myself, and I, our culture feeds us to, uh, to, to yeah, worship and praise ourselves. Draw attention to ourselves. And that's not exactly the teaching from heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you know, in essence, you know how well you do at loving yourself. Like the disciples didn't come to Jesus. Teach us how to love ourselves, master. Do you know how well you are experts at loving yourself? Now, take all of that effort, that thought, that energy and Love others with it like you would want to be loved. Look how he deflects it and love me and others. It's Christianity is so outward, other centered, God centered. Our culture is so inward, right? So we have to be aware of these things. And 
stay on our toes because we were created not just by but for God to glorify God. Make a big deal about God. So we want to just take a a few breaths this morning and, and, and make sure God's where he needs to be on the throne of our hearts. King of his kingdom. He alone is worthy. So talk about him. Make a big deal about him in your prayer life. And then another thing that emerges as we look at this prayer from a, a aerial perspective, if you will, is that uh, and it goes right along with the first point is that it's a family oriented prayer. I mean, you've probably heard this before because we've taught through this prayer, but it is a very family oriented prayer. Um, it's about God as a father. He who does he father? Well, he fathers me. But in this prayer, he fathers fathers a whole family of believers. And so e- even the prayers that we are encouraged to ask, ask are in the context of the family that we have been born into. Born again and not placed out on our own. Do you ever think about the church in that way? That you are not just born again, but you are born into the family of God. You are born into brothers and sisters of Christ. So this prayer takes on this uh, context. There's there's community um, around it. I did when I when I was thinking about this last week, I did just a quick unofficial search because I'm too impatient to go in depth with this. I didn't want to spend a lot of time with it, but just a quick search with some of the prayers in Scripture and found that, sure enough, most of the prayers prayed in Scripture are for others. So they're for themselves, but they're praying for others because others are involved in whatever it is that they're going through in their lives. And so in the Old Testament, deliver us, O God. It's not just me, but my brothers and sisters. All of Israel needs to be delivered from our enemies. Or, Father, uh, we need your spirit. We're in this spiritual drought. Forgive us, O God. So many of the prayers are prayed in this Awareness that we are in this together. It's not just me. It's me and it's and it's you. It's the person to your left. It's the person to your right. Should we ever pray for ourselves? Is it okay to pray for ourselves? Yeah. In Matthew chapter seven, uh, verses nine through eleven, you have the the example. I'm sure you're familiar with about um, Jesus using again earthly fatherhood as an example when your son asks for for bread you're not going to give him a rock or a snake and how much more does god your your father in heaven want to give you things when you ask so yeah ask it's okay to to do that but the the overall flavor of prayer is within the family context so he, he wants us to come to him for all things. Now, I've, I've heard some people say, I don't pray for others. I mean, I don't pray for myself. It's too selfish to pray for myself. And prayers can be selfish, as we've already explored this morning. They can be very self-centered, but they don't have to be. So how do you know if your prayer might be on the verge of being self-centered? Many different gauges, but one, I think, very practical thing to ask ourselves if we're dealing with that. Are my prayers getting off base, Lord? Is um, to ask ourselves or say it's not selfish if it's something that God actually wants us to be asking for. 
because there are things in Scripture that tell us, here's what you should be asking for in your prayer life. And we see them in this prayer. Is it selfish to ask for daily bread? No. It's not selfish to ask God for provision. He tells us to come to him. He knows what we need. Uh, what, what else should, should we be asking God for according to this prayer? Well, we should be asking God for forgiveness. It's not selfish to ask him for forgiveness. We should be asking God that we're not led into temptation because there's sure a lot of it. We should be asking God that we don't fall prey to evil, but deliver us from it. These are all good things to, to be asking God for. But we're in this together, right? And Paul says in Ephesians, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's, there's the house we live in, the family that we're a part of. So when, when I pray and I'm going through perhaps a tough time of temptation, I want to not just pray for myself, but I want to pray for you and for you and for you. Because I know you face it, too. And when I pray for my own needs, I'm not the only one that that needs provision or sustenance or a job or whatever it is, a, a working vehicle. You may need that, too. I want to pray that God would also provide these things for you. And and you need to be delivered from evil. You have the same. We serve the same God. We we have the same enemy. We share the same spirit. We share the same power, the same. We have the same goal in life. So our prayers are to be other centered, to be generous in that way. But there are three primary reasons uh, that this is a family prayer, I think. One I've already addressed, and that is Jesus actually teaches us to address God as our Father, which immediately draws us to the idea of family. That's quite obvious. Um, the second reason this is a family prayer is because look at all the plurals, not the me, myself, and I's. It's just the opposite in this prayer when he teaches them. You have us, our, us. So it's taught with the understanding that we should pray with and for others. It's collective. And I like the little poem that uh, Spiros Zodiades, Zodiades quotes in his little teaching on the Lord's Prayer. He says, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. Cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it never once says me. There's teaching in that. Powerful, powerful teaching. That God would, would want us to incorporate into our prayer lives. He goes on to say, in prayer, I'm not alone. I'm one with the members of God's family, which is also my family. My weak prayer is caught up into the great stream of prayer that goes up forever from God's family. The strength of my prayer is that it is not simply mine, 
That the moment I fall on my knees, I'm no longer an individual man or woman talking to God, but a member of the family of God, a share in that human nature which Christ has carried to the right hand of God. So what this means, the power is this in this is that even if I am neglecting my prayer life, I am not doing what I should do. My brothers and sisters are carrying me in prayer. Is that not a comfort? That God is still hearing my name. He's still aware of what's going of 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 my life. Because others are lifting. You see the strength in this? You see how strong a body can become with this mindset when I want what God wants for you and not just myself. And that we would all be strengthened together. All, all learn together. Practice righteousness with the pure motive. Together honor and exalt God together. It's that togetherness, that withness. So we pray with people and we pray for people. I want to close. Um, by the way, Jesus, the third reason, uh, and I won't go into this in detail, but the third reason it's a family prayer is because Jesus also prayed in like manner. So it's practical. It works. He addressed his God as father. Um, he was tempted out in the wilderness. Now, he didn't ask forgiveness for himself. Who did he ask forgiveness for in his prayer? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Jesus calls us brothers. Not ashamed of my brothers. So he has the same attitude here in this prayer. It's the kingdom and the glory. So he prayed this himself. He prayed it with us. He prayed it for us. It's not some just dry formula. So if we think about this in in conclusion... What is God saying should be present in our hearts when we come before him? What should we be desiring? What should we be longing for? That which God longs for. We should be concerned about that which God is concerned. We we should be focused on God and his kingdom. Foremost, putting God first, he's going to say, In verse 33 of this chapter, seek the kingdom first and then all these other things fall into place. But you got to keep the priority. Keep God on the throne of your heart. That's the, the big priority of Christianity. It's how the whole universe is constructed and it's falling apart and it's broken because we didn't put God first and keep him first. Even in our brokenness, this is the best way. We have to believe and trust God that praying like this and living according to his commandments is what's best for us, even in our sin and even in our brokenness. But this is what needs to be on our hearts as we pray. I want to close with this example here of the incredible power of prayer as an encouragement when God says or Jesus says he already knows what you're going to ask for. Here's an example of that. Philip Ryken tells a story about Hudson Taylor. A missionary, and he ran a 
uh, mission hospital. And he suddenly had to return to England, not sure why, but the story goes that he was had to go back to England. And um, he couldn't be there to run the hospital any longer for this time, nor could he be there to fund it because he actually funded this hospital. And so the whole ministry or mission was at stake. They literally were running out of money. Uh, They were down to one bag of rice, the story goes. He called the staff, told them what was going on. Uh, they, They prayed. And he said, you can choose to stay, you can choose to go, but basically we no longer have any funds. Each day things got worse and worse and worse until eventually they ran out of all supplies. And um, the day that the food ran out, they received a letter in the mail from England. And in that letter was a donation to the ministry. Um, for 50 pounds, which uh, I think was translated to about $78 in the early 1800s. Now, $78 would go a long way back then. I know today you would feel insecure with that, but it was a big deal. And so the hospital had the money to continue to go and, uh, and exist, but also in that letter the donor said, and by the way, I've just... Inherited quite a bit of money. Would would you like more? Is there a need for more? Now, here's the thing that we want to know about this is that there was a need in uh, in this hospital. There's a great need. And for that need to be met, you you don't just take a letter. uh, they, They didn't fly it over there. It had to travel overseas. So this. Donation was already en route. God had already prompted this other individual to specifically give to this particular need. And it arrived on the day that they ran out of food. God, that's our father that does these kind of things. Prayer is powerful. And the relationship and the intimacy and the trust and the faith that just can be built by talking to God and believing God like this and exalting God like this is powerful. And I appreciate that this body is a a praying body. Um, And I, I pray that that will be the case for as long as all of us in this room are alive, that we cling to God and go to God as a praying body. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.